Today's shir begins four lines from the top of Daf Gimel. On the side of the Gemara, where we have a nosei, a topic heading, we've written tiurim, descriptions, hakshurim, that are related to la'odom ho'iver avera. We've used a dashed underline to highlight the expression odom ho'iver avera, so you can see the two references in the Gemara to this topic, namely, a person who sins. Now the Gemara. Tanya, Hoyo, Rabbi Meir, Oimer, Adam, Oiver, Avero, Beseser, a person who commits a sin in private, the way of many is the uh, the commission of sins in private, thinking that well, no one's going to see them, and uh, the question always uh, remains in one's mind: is are these people thinking that the Almighty doesn't see it either? Well, whatever the case, the Almighty will publicize the offense. Literally, he will announce it in public or in, uh, in an exposed fashion. He will expose the sinner. The Rashi points out, The relevance of this is, of course, relevant to the Isha Sota, a married woman who goes off with another man into uh, seclusion. That itself, by the way, is problematic. The question is what actually transpired in seclusion, if an actual act of intimacy took place. No matter, it will become publicized. The Rashi goes on to say, uh, that is, the Almighty will announce it in public. He places in the heart of her husband to warn her, to become angry with her. And this will become public knowledge. So the person who thinks that he's going to get away with it by going into seclusion beyond the watchful eye of others uh, had, had better be aware of this Russia that it will become known. Now, where do we see this in the verses? Shinamar, the Gemara, our Gemara goes on. It says in the Pesach, the Ovar Olav Ruach Kino, regarding the husband of a woman who is suspected of immorality, the verse refers to a spirit of Kino, of suspicion, of, of wrath will overcome him. Now, the word the Ovar is explained, the word the Ovar represents an expression of announcement, and that's the relevance to our current uh, uh, explanation, that the Almighty will publicize. In another posuk, we see the word Vayaviru with the same uh, Hebrew root, Ovar, as representing an announcement. The posuk quoted from Shmos, Perek Lamedvav, is a posuk related to Moshe Rabbeinu making an announcement concerning the construction of the Mishkan. A person does not commit a sin unless a spirit of foolishness entered him first. Shinamar ish ish ki siste ishto. The Pesach, again, a, uh, a reference to the Sota woman. It says, a man whose wife goes astray. And the word chosen by the Torah is Sisteh. That's to go off the path, to go astray. The 
Torah itself has no vowels or punctuation, so when you look at that word sistet, which literally is to do with going off the path, the same root letter-wise appears as that of foolishness, of shoite. Tishte ksiv. You can see where the drosha, as we said, involves the same root letters as shtus, as becoming foolish. So that a person, uh, though he may be well, um, uh, in, well educated, well informed of the of the uh, the omnit- uh, omnipotence and omnipresence of the Almighty, and though uh, with that awareness one would imagine a person could not possibly sin, nevertheless people do sin, and that as is explained by Reish Lakish, is a result of the Ruach Shtus, the spirit of foolishness that enters the person before he sins. Tono Debei Rabbi Yishmuel, Why is it that the Torah, in the case of Sota, in the case of this topic, which, by the way, we discussed extensively in our shir on Daf Beis, in our previous shir, why is it that the Torah grants believability to a singular witness in the case of the Sota, which is contrary to standard legal and testimony practice, whereby two witnesses are needed, a minimum of two witnesses are needed to establish facts? When it comes to the Sota, a woman who, a married woman, of course, whose husband had warned her not to be in seclusion with so and so, and then went into seclusion and one witness comes and tells us that she that he saw the act itself the actual act of sexual uh, intercourse taking place which which renders her forbidden to her husband and as we said he is believed shiraglayim lodovor shiraglayim dovor means there is already a basis for suspicion before we come to believe the singular witness there's already grounds for suspicion. Sharekino law venistera. The husband had warned her. She went into into seclusion. And for, regarding these elements, we are we have testimony that will substantiate that. The aid echod miido Then one witness comes and says there was an actual act of intimacy that took place. So we believe him. And as we've learned before, based on the Pesach itself, we are able to believe him. When you look at the Psukim, and you see a reference to the husband warning her, it follows, it comes after the Stiro, uh, the seclusion, and the act of intimacy. So we see that the one witness is believed even without what you said was the grounds for suspicion, i.e. even without the kinui, even without the husband warning her. Now the basis of this question is an awareness of the psukim. So let us look together on the psukim that we've included on the side of the Gemara. And Rashi quotes them in part. The Sukim we're referring to is in Bamidbar Perak Hey Posukid Gimel. So together we read it. The Shochav Ish Oisa Shikhvazera, Vinela Mieine Isha, the Vinistara, Vihinitma, and here are the key words. The woman went into seclusion and she became defiled. 
the Eid Ein Ball, and from that phrase, Eid Ein Ball means, and we believe a singular witness. Vehi loaned pasuk provided that there was no rape involved. Now, in reading this pasuk, you did not notice any reference to kinui. So we we say that the <coughs> believability of the singular witness is not based on the established. Uh, sus- suspicious grounds that the Tanaic source just made reference to. In Pasuk Yudalid, it says, V'ovar olav ruach kino v'kine es Only in Pasuk Yudalid do you see kino referred to. So, how is it then, we go back to the beginning and ask, how is it that one witness is believed? Previously, we thought, well, it's because the one witness is saying his testimony on the heels of an established suspicious basis, i.e., the husband warned her, and then she went into seclusion. But we don't have that when you look at the order of the verses. The Gemara responds, Omar Leng, Abaye answers Rav Popa, the Ovar, that word that you see at the beginning of Pasuk Yudalid, Ukvar Ovar. It's a past tense expression. Meaning, and when it says in Pasuk Yudalid that the, uh, the husband warned her, it means, and the husband had warned her. The husband had warned her before going into seclusion and then the singular witness testifies. So, of course, if you uh, learn the psukim in that fashion, in that, that, that we'll say, grammatical uh, framework, the husband had warned her prior to the uh, seclusion. So then, when the one witness comes to, comes to the fore, he really is coming on the heels of already suspicious circumstances. The Gemara asks, well, if uh, we're going to accept uh, Abaye's answer, well, what about the following Pasuk? And Abaye's answer was that the word Vavar means Ukvar Ovar. In terms of grammar, uh, I might be mistaken, but I believe it would be the form of speech we call the past perfect uh, uh, grammatical uh, uh, form. If, uh, if I'm not accurate on that, so I hope my, our listeners will forgive me. But if that's the case that the ovar is that uh, f- that form of it already had been well the ovar lochem kol chalutz hachinami now this posuk is a reference to Moshe Rabbeinu commanding the tribes uh, in the desert before crossing into the land of Canaan which becomes Eretz Yisrael warning the tribes or, or um, obligating the tribes of God and Reuven to follow into the land of Canaan even though they had expressed their interest in remaining on the eastern bank of the Jordan River so Moshe Rabbeinu is, can, is commanding them that you will go into the land of Canaan to fight for its conquest alongside or under the leadership of Yahushua. Now, you see the word Va'avar? Well, Hachinami, is that also to mean that it had taken place? It can't be. That it, it, it's, it's, uh, it just can't be. So the Gemara says, that's right, it can't be, but that's because the Pesach itself indicates it could not be. Since in the same framework the Pesach says, and the land will be conquered, and then you will go back to where you want to be, Mashma de There, the Vo'ovar Lochem Kolchalutz has a future connotation. 
But here, in the case of the Soto woman, the married woman suspected of immorality, uh, that you would leave the Psukim in their current order, and that that would dictate the actual order of events, namely seclusion and the, and the testimony that she became defiled, and, uh, and then the husband warns, that doesn't make sense, after, uh, after uh, the defilement and having been in seclusion, what would the role of a warning be? So obviously, the warning spoken about in Posuk Yudalid means it had taken place. So that the one witness, when he comes to testify, is in fact with, uh, with a previously established basis of suspicion. And uh, that's why we believe him. Tono Debei Rabbi Yishmuel. Ein Odom Mekanel Ishtom Kenichnasa Bo Ruach. A man does not uh, warn his wife unless a spirit entered him. Now, what the nature of this spirit is, the Gemara will present two opinions but a spirit must have entered him a uh, a spirit entered him and then he warned his wife now we're going to be discussing uh, uh, let's say this topic of spirit recognizing that it's a somewhat let's say esoteric or abstract idea but nevertheless maybe in, in common terms uh, people are at times overcome with a sudden feeling without any um, without, without any let's say a previous basis for the for the emotional reaction to whatever that would be possibly a manifestation of a spirit enter, entering a person all of a sudden a person has a has a drive to do something without as we say without, without being predicated on some kind of previous event so the more here asks, my ruach, what is this spirit? Rabbonon Amri, ruach tumah. Rabbonon Rashi says, Rabbonon Debei Ravashi, the students of the yeshiva of Ravashi, they said it's a spirit of, of defilement. Again, this is quite esoteric, but it, it has to do with a spirit that's coming from a, we'll say it, a, a, a no good place. And Ravashi, my ruach tahara. No, it's a spirit of Purity, namely, namely that the, uh, the the spirit that has has disdain, has has hate for uh, for lewdness, for priestess, as it's referred to in Hebrew. And it's most likely that the spirit spoken of here is a spirit coming from a good place, from a uh, from a place of of purity. And here we have a Tanaic source in which two Tanaic opinions will appear, but at the end of the day, we'll have to conclude that it's a Ruach Tara, and you'll see why as the Gemara unfolds. The Pasuk says, the Kinei Es Ishto. And uh, that is in Pasuk Yudalid, where it said, V'ovar olov Ruach Kino V'kinei Es Ishto. Now, the words V'kinei Es Ishto uh, equals Rashus, Divrei Rabbi Shmuel, means that when you read the words uh, and the husband will warn his wife, of course we've, we've, got, we've seen in the past the word vikine could mean an expression of anger, uh, but for our purposes, if we translate it, he becomes suspicious uh, and hence warns his wife, 
Rabbi Shmuel says Rishus means a husband has an option to do thusly. He has an option to to uh, put his wife on notice. And Rabbi Kiva Omer Chova. Rabbi Kiva says a husband is obligated to serve notice that to his wife that she should not be in private with so and so that the husband uh, suspects. If you say that the Ruach referred to in the Posuk is like Ravashi said, a spirit of purity, then this Shapir means then this Machlokis uh, makes sense. Uh, it makes sense that uh, once we establish you're dealing with the Ruach Taro, uh, Rabbi Shmuel says, well, you have an, an option to exercise what the spirit is motivating you to do. And Rabbi Akiva says, you're obligated to follow that spirit of purity. But if you're saying it's a spirit uh, that comes from a no good place, from a uh, from a, a source of defilement, then would you say, would you debate this as being either a op- an option or an obligation to uh, allow a spirit of tumor of defilement to enter oneself? So it the uh, Gemara concludes then, like Ravashi, that the possible which made reference to a spirit entering the man, the husband, it's a spirit that comes from a place of purity. The spirit that has no tolerance for lewdness. Gufa. And now we quote that which we just saw uh, three lines above in the Tanaic source in a more complete fashion. There are three points mentioned in the source. You can see that we've numbered them. On the side of the Gemara, we have a, no say, topic heading, which reads as follows. Machlokis Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Kiva, a controversy between these two Tanoim, Im Rishus regarding, uh, that is, Begimel Mitzvahs, Im Rishus regarding three Mitzvahs are they understood as an option one has or an obligation? And they are number one, Vikine Yasishto, we already referred to that. Number two, law, Yitama. This has to do with a common Kohen defiling himself to one of the near relatives, uh, like a mother, a sister, an unmarried sister who died. Does he, the Kohen, uh, defile himself to participate in their funeral and whatever is related to the defilement issue that in general Kohanim are prohibited from. And number three, the Oilom Bohem Tavodu, says to do with the topic of enslaving uh, heathens, uh, binding them uh, into to slavery, that once you let us say acquire a heathen slave, you are the Oilom Bohem Tavodu, you are to forever enslave them. In other words, there's no, do not release them uh, from uh, from bondage. Now, we go to the Gemara. Gufa. V'kine es yishto rishus omer chova. We discussed that already. Number two, law yitama. The issue of the Kohen defiling himself to a near relative. Well, one opinion, Rishus, that's Rebbe Shmuel, that it's an option that a Kohen has. He's not obligated to, but if he wants to, even though in general a Kohen is prohibited from defiling himself to a corpse, 
from the general public, not when it, he's not prohibited when it comes to a, a near relative. The opinion of Rabbi Shmuel, though, is that he's not obligated to. Rabbi Kiva Omer Chova, Rabbi Kiva goes a step further and says it's obligatory upon a Kohen to defile himself to one of the uh, seven uh, near relatives. Number three, the issue of keeping a heathen slave in bondage permanently. Rishus Divrei Rabbi Yishmuel, Rabbi Kiva Omer Chova. According to Rabbi Akiva, then it would be a it would be prohibited to free a heathen slave from his bondage. Amarle Rav Papa Labaye Yamri Law, another version of names. Rav Meshar Shiel Larova. Lema Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Akiva Bechol Hatora Kula Hachi Pligi. The more Omar Rishus Umor Omar Choyva. Should one think that? With regard to all positive mitzvahs in the Torah, this machlokes applies. That Rabbi Shmuel says you have an option, and, and uh, Rabbi Kiva says uh, you have uh, an obligation. And if you if you say that, then it's going to come out that you don't have any mitzvahs to say according to Rabbi Shmuel. Any you won't have any positive commands <coughs> that are truly obligatory, and that's of course not true. So Omar Lay Abaye says Hocha Bekroy Pligi. Here, regarding these three uh, topics, these three mitzvahs, there are psukim that serve as the basis of this machlokus. So that only in these three areas will you find will you find this debate. You're not going to find this debate regarding the mitzvah of tefillin or the mitzvah of mezuzah or the mitzvah of lulav and esrog. But in these three areas, there is a, uh, I'll say, a scriptural basis for their machlokas. Now, as we go on in the Gemara, you'll notice a numbering scheme that's used on the side under our Mivneh heading. We have numbers in diamonds, one through three. And we note, Pirut, Shalosh HaMitzvah, Shebohem Cholku, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva, Vehezber Machlokusam. Here we'll itemize these three, so that if you take a, let's say, an overview or a bird's eye view of the Gemara, you'll notice this discussion continues till the upper part of Omid Bays, where the, you'll see number three and a discussion, as we say, that follows. So now, number one. V'kinei asishto, Rashus Divrei, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva, Omer, Chova. My time all to Rabbi Shmuel here, regarding the topic of the husband warning his wife, we ask now, what is the reason for Rabbi Shmuel that classifies it as an option? Answer, Sovar law, ki hai tana. Well, he holds like the teaching in the following Tanaic source. Desanya, Rabbi Yelibin Yankiv Oimer, Klapi Shomra Torah, uh, once the Torah teaches, loisisna es ochicho bilvovecha, that it is prohibited for a person to bring himself to a feeling of hate and disdain and strife with his fellow Jew. Yachol kegoyim zu? Is it possible uh, like this too, where a man sees his wife um, violating uh, Jewish practice and he should remain silent? When we say uh, uh, violating uh, Jewish practice, the uh, Jewish practice involves uh, women being loose, being too uh, overly friendly with men other than their husbands. 
uh, and the man sees this kind of behavior on her part, should he see it and remain silent? Talmud Lomar v'yovar olav ruach kino at the pasuk that we've cited already, uh, namely v'kinei es ishto, uh, that a husband uh, has a right to put her on notice, to warn her, and he is not considered in violation of lo sisno es bilvavecha. So, from this we see that a man has an option, even though he's engaging in a type of behavior that could result in strife between uh, husband and wife, or between the woman and neighbors, as we saw on our Daf Bey's shiur. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, it's not just an option, but it's obligatory. Kinui achrino ksiv. In the Pesach you find the word kinui referenced to a second time. And the fact that kinui is repeated, one tells me there's an option, and the second one hammers the point home to say it's not just an option, but it's actually an obligation. Now, uh, if you look in the Pasuk itself, you might notice this, this uh, uh, duplication. Uh, Pasuk Yudalad of Bamid Berhev, we have it on the side, we made reference to this Pasuk earlier, and it says, You notice the word Vikine, that's the first time you see it. And again, you see Vikine, uh, and in this time in the context of and her not having been defiled so that the Posuk uses the word vikine twice and Rabbi Kiva sees that as an emphasis to make the point that it is obligatory for Rabbi Yishmuel, well what's his response to this he says the, the duplication of vikine is not uh, um, a revelation of a new point of law, namely to make it obligatory. But Aidi de Boy Lemichta since the Posuk needs to teach us the two situations of either her being defiled <coughs> or not having been defiled. Ksivnami Vikine Esishto. The Posuk repeats the expression Vikine Esishto even though its repetition is not necessary, but it, the Pesach will do it anyway, as is taught in the Yeshiva of Rabbi Shmuel, the Torah Rabbi Shmuel, uh, sections of the Torah that are stated and repeated, the repetition is because of, um, you'll find an entire section repeated, even though the repetition was necessary only for one point. Nevertheless, in repeating the section for that one novel point, other information will be repeated along with it that really is not revealing anything new. Uh, maybe to appreciate a little more, we look at the Rashi. A few lines up from here, Rabbi Shmuel, Omar Loch, Aidi Deboi Lemichtav, Since the Pasuk had to teach us the two possibilities the woman either becoming defiled in an actual act of intimacy or not the Pesach reflects the element of doubt either she was or was not defiled and nevertheless she is prohibited to her husband even though we're dealing with a situation of mere doubt whether she was actually defiled by the paramour, 
but the, the, the situation of doubt is sufficient for prohibiting her to remain with her husband until, of course, she drinks the water in the Beis HaMikdash. Uh, and that, that's a novel point. Kosav Nami Vekine Achrino, the Pasuk writes again, Vekine Asishto, uh, even though the Pesach could have used a shortened version, namely, that would be a shortened version of the Pesach where you see the two possibilities of nitma or lo nitma, which would create the, uh, the spirit of doubt. It's characteristic of Pesachim to repeat in full that which was already said because of one some other point that is revealed in the repetition and we did we pointed out the the novel point is the fact that even though we have a mere doubt she the woman the wife becomes prohibited to her husband so the rest of the information was repeated namely uh, or including the but it's not revealing of some new point namely uh, that it's a, an obligation for the husband to warn her number two law itama rishus divrei rabbi shmuel rabbi kivo merchoiva the topic regarding the defilement of a coin to a near relative is it an option that he has or is it obligatory well my time at rabbi shmuel Rabbi Shmuel, who said that it's an option, what is his basis? Well, since the Torah warns the Kohanim not to defile themselves to the dead, it's the Richolamichtav lo yitamo. In order to counter the general prohibition, the Torah had to say that he has a uh, he has an option, he has permission to defile himself to a near relative, like a, a, a father, a mother, a brother, an unmarried sister, a son, a daughter. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, Miki im nafka. The idea of a coin having a right to defile himself to a near relative, that is learned from the Pesach that says ki im which for our purposes is license for a Kohen to defile himself. Law yitamo lomoli, the Pesach of law yitamo, what is its purpose? Lechova. In addition to having the option, he even has an obligation. For Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel said that it is an option only and not an obligation to defile. Law mitamo v'ein mitamo levoreha. So, as stylistically, it would seem that Rabbi Shmuel accepts Rabbi Kiva's source for the option, namely ki im l'sheiro. Well, then, if that's the case, what does Rabbi Shmuel do with the pasuk law yitamo? He doesn't learn any more. From that, the idea of option, that he would learn from Ki'im L'Sheiro. So what does Rabbi Shmuel do with Lo Yitamo? He says that he is, that a Kohen is allowed to defile himself to the uh, dead relative when they are complete, but not to one of their limbs. If 
There is an isolated limb. You have uh, a case of, for example, an amputation, where a limb is removed from a relative, so that even though had that relative died, the Kohen has the option to defile himself. He is prohibited from exposing himself to the defilement of an aver minachai, of a limb removed from a living relative just like a limb that would be separated from that relative if they were dead. But the idea being a defilement to a limb, even though it's from a relative, that is prohibited. We continue at the top of Omid Bey's Rabbi Akiva. Well, what, what does Rabbi Akiva uh, say about this point? Im Cain, meaning if the Pusik was for uh, um, simply for the purpose of excluding limbs and not to teach, like I say, an obligation, then lichtoiv rachmona lo, the lishtok. It would have been enough for the Pusik to write a law uh, and not uh, add the word itamo. So, itamo lomali. Why does the Pusik add the word itamo? Shmamino, this shows us that it is an obligation. So you have a, a repeated word for the purpose of strengthening the idea of defilement to raise it to the level of obligation. The uh, response of Rabbi Shmuel to that follows Rabbi Shmuel. Aidi de Kosav law, since the Torah writes the word law, and the word law is uh, necessary for excluding limbs. So, kosav nami itamo, it adds the word itamo as well, but there's no really, there's no new point of law revealed from its repetition. L'chidetona debei Rabbi Shmuel. Based on Rabbi Shmuel's principle that we discussed back on Omid Aleph. The same point is mentioned here. Detona debei Rabbi Shmuel. Kol parsha shenemro v'nishnes Sections of the Torah that are, that Appear as seeming repetition. The repetition is for one point, but once we justify the repetition for one point, other words may be repeated even though there is no real new revelation. Let us look at a Rashi that applies to the top line of the Gemara where Rabbi Kiva said, Where does he see? Uh, obligation and not just exclusion of limbs. So he, the Gemara said, he saw that from the word itamo that was added. Uh, Rashi on the top, lichtov rachmona lo v'lishtok de mashma lenefesh lo itamo be'amov kiim l'shero ulachoso habsula lo klomar legufa. Had the pasuk stopped with the word law, I would understand legufa sholei v'lolei varel that the permission to defile himself that is derived from the expression ki'im l'she'ero that applies when she is law, meaning herself, when she's complete, not when we're dealing with limbs. So as far as Rabbi Akiva was concerned, why was the word yitamo added? Even though uh, we saw the idea of defilement from the first part of the Pasuk where it said Nefesh lo yitamo be'amov ki'im l'shero. So we saw that when it comes to a relative, yitamo is an option. Why was the word yitamo added? So Rabbi Kiva said, 
for emphasis purposes to raise it to the level of obligation. Rabbi Shmuel, consistent to the tone of Rabbi Shmuel, says there is really no revelation in the second appearance of the word Itamah. We go to the third point that they debated. The Oilam Tavodu, regarding the freeing, the release from bondage of a heathen slave. Rabbi Shmuel says that the Torah that says you shall enslave them forever is stating a matter of option. Rabbi Kiva Omer Chovo, you are obligated to maintain their servitude and not release them. My Taimo de Rabbi Shmuel. Where does Rabbi Shmuel see this idea of it is an option that one has to maintain the servitude? Um, now, the Posik that we're reading um, is a Posik dealing with the topic of the conquest, say, the conquest of the land of Israel at the time of Yehoshua crossing over and then spending 14 years conquering the land, it says, Lo kol neshama, that you shall not uh, maintain alive any of the inhabitants. So since the Pasuk says that the, sometimes referred to as the seven nations that inhabited the land of Israel, it's referred to in the Torah as Eretz Canaan, the Torah says you shall not keep any alive. So it's Nami Lemichtav, the Pasuk also wrote the Oilem Bohem Tavodu, the Mishri Echod Mikolu Umois Shebo Ala Knainis, the Hoilid Mimeno Ben Shatarosh Rashoi Liknoso. If, let us say, a man from Japan had intimacy with a woman from the seven nations and a child was born so the Torah allows a Jew to acquire that child whose father is from a foreign land even though the mother is from the Canaanite people one of the seven nations of the land of Israel hence the, the Torah says you are allowed to have him enslaved Again, it's a matter of option. You can keep him enslaved. In other words, contrary to the way you deal with the uh, general local population, the seven nations, they are to be eliminated. Not so in the case of a foreign man that has a child with a Canaanite woman. Desanya. And here we have a Tanaic source that gives us more information on this topic of those children born born from, we'll refer to them as mixed marriages, either the man from the Canaanite people, woman from outside, or the other way around. And we'll find that there's actually a double, a different standard for each case. The uh, Gemur here makes reference to Psukim, and Rashi also elaborates. Before we go further in the Gemara, Let's take a look at the psukim that will be fo- will be the feature of uh, the text. We've included the psukim on the side. Vayikra perichof hey first posuk mem hey then posuk mem vov. It says in posuk mem hey v'gam ibnei hatoshavim agorim imochem mehem tiknu umimishpachtam umimishpachtam asher imochem asher holidu baartzachem 
Vahoyu lochem la'achuzah. Reference is made to uh, those that are uh, born in your land, in the land of Israel, and you will keep them as property. And Posuk Memvov says, V'hisnachaltem o'yisom l'vnechem acharechem l'oreshes achuzah l'oylom b'hem tavodu these slaves that Pasuk Memhei referred to are considered your property and as such are passed from one generation to the next uh, with the, with, upon the death of the owner so the son will uh, inherit these slaves uh, however when it comes to Jew with fellow Jew the Torah says not to enslave him the, in the same fashion that one would enslave a heathen slave. We turn back to the Gemara. Number three. And we saw this in our source. We're just re- reviewing the Machlokes. And Rabbi Shmuel said, uh, that's, and Rabbi Kiva says, Choyva. So now we, we're referring to the Tanaic source. Where we see the uh, let's say this additional information, so we're picking up with the source Desanya Minayin Leecho Min HaUmois Sheboala Knainis VaHoylid Mimeno Ben Shata Rashoi Liknosu Bevet. From where do we know that a male from a foreign country that has intimacy and leads to the birth of a child and his intimacy is with a Canaanist woman that you are allowed to buy that individual as a slave so from the language of this Pasuk we derive and Rashi gives more background to it we don't have to get into it right now suffice it to say that from the language of this Pasuk we understand we're talking about a man from a foreign country who had relations with a Canaanite woman and they moved to the land of Israel you can buy that offspring as a slave and it it, it doesn't come under the uh, requirement mentioned before could it be that a male Canaanite that has relations with a woman from a foreign country and they produced a child would you be allowed to buy him Talmud Lomar the post says Asher Holidu Ba'artzachem only those that were and again without getting into the we'll say the etymology or the uh, exact connotation of, of these words suffice it to say that those that are uh, men that came from abroad and uh, came from outside Israel and bore children in your land those you can buy but not not from the males that live in the land indigenous males that bore children even though it's with a woman from a foreign country those you're not allowed to buy those come under the heading or come under the commandment of those have to be eliminated so from this 
Rabbi Shmuel understands that is simply a reference to an option that one has to buy them and have them as slaves. Where does Rabbi Akiva see that one is obligated to maintain their bondage and not release them? Rabbi Akiva, mehem mi mehem tiknu nafka. From the expression mehem tiknu that you see in the Pasuk, we learn the idea of option to buy them. Why, after you write that you have the option to buy them, does the Torah say, and you shall keep them in bondage forever? To teach me that it's an obligation to maintain their bondage and not release them. For Rabbi Yishmuel, Bohem, the word Bohem that Rabbi Akiva uh, saw as uh, pointing to uh, obligation, Rabbi Yishmuel uses it for something else. The low Be'achechem. That the uh, let's say the concept of, of bondage and servitude uh, uh, applies to uh, them and not to fellow Jews. The uh, limitation as far as how far can you enslave a fellow Jew that is learned from the end of the pasuk. And at the end of the Posuk, end of Posuk Menvov, we see the exclusion of fellow Jews from from total servitude and bondage. So I don't need Bohem for that as a limitation expression. And hence Rabbi Akiva sees from the word Bohem, of that is Bohem in the Posuk of the Olam Bohem Tavodu, the obligation to to maintain their servitude. The Rabbi Yishmael. Since the Torah writes so the word Bohem was in fact repeated. So that you see that Rabbi Shmuel accepts Rabbi Kiva's point that is the basis of excluding fellow Jews from total servitude and bondage. So what does the word Bohem do now, according to Rabbi Shmuel? He tells you really doesn't reveal anything. It's there, based on the principle here, we're seeing it for the third time. Sections of the Torah that are taught a second time are taught for one point of newness of revelation, and along with that, other words may be included even though they do not represent a point of revelation. And uh, that's the case uh, as far as Rabbi Shmuel is concerned with the uh, expression Bohem in the Pasuk Lolam Bohem Tavodu. As we go on in the Gemara, triangles appear and on the side, under our Nosei Mivne heading, we indicate these are Memros Rav Chista, uh, comments made by Rav Chista, Begnus in criticism, Begnus Kas Uznus, criticizing the uh, the uh, characteristics of wrath and promiscuity, and the effects that that wrath and and lewdness have on a person's household. The Gemara, Omar Rev Uznusa Bevesa Kikaria Lushumshema. Uh, lewdness, uh, promiscuity in one's household is like uh, 
a karyo is a type of vegetation. Imagine a, a pumpkin, uh, and a shumshima is a worm. It's what's the point here? It uh, lewdness in a household uh, leads to its being. The, to the household rotting away, being consumed gradually, slowly by slowly, slowly by slowly, just like a worm you know, eating away at the uh, inside of a karya, this type of vegetation. The uh, Gemara continues: of Chista Shema. Uh, a second characteristic that also uh, eats away, uh, destroys a house, is the the element of wrath. And now a very interesting uh, revelation: Edi ve'edi be'itza. Both of these, this, these ideas, <coughs> or the idea of a house rotting away by virtue of wrath and and promiscuity, this is true when it's the nature, the characteristics of the. So the woman, the wife of the household, the mother of the household. When it comes to the, the man, uh, it's not the same. literally means we don't, we don't mind it. But for our purposes, it's, it's not the same thing. Now, uh, as this recording is being made, uh, without the giving the actual date of it, but uh, suffice it to say, as this recording is being made, I don't know uh, what things are going to be like you know, many years down the road when someone might still be listening to this recording, but suffice it to say, the society that, we, that, that is, is currently, um, let's say, uh, the, uh, the standard bearer, uh, would find, uh, might find this uh, difficult to absorb, uh, this uh, this distinction made, but uh, Chazal uh, are are everlasting. They what they say has eternal value. Uh, current societies uh, come and go, and here is a, a fundamental statement that uh, the, uh, the this idea of a household rotting away because of let's say the the father's wrathfulness. Where, by the way, we're not advocating either one of these characters is lewdness or wrathfulness. They're both uh, sinful behaviors. But the question is, what kind of effect does that have on a household? That's, this is an issue that's, that goes beyond the, the uh, issue of sinfulness and the disdain that we have toward these characteristics. We're here focusing on the issue of what effect does it have on a household so there is there's a worse effect that these characters have when it's when it's manifest by manifested by the wife or by the woman the mother of the household not so much by the father the gemara continues at the beginning, before the Jews sinned in the area of forbidden uh, intimacies, Rashi speaks about Arias. Arias is uh, forbidden relatives. And uh, in the beginning, before the Jews descended into these prohibited relations, the uh, divine presence rested upon each household. The Almighty God. Uh, walks in the midst of your camp. Kevon Shechotu, when they sinned, Nistalka Shechinamehem, the divine presence left. Shenemar Veloyer Dover Veshov Meacharecha. The Almighty does not want to see 
erva's dover promiscuity uh, in your midst, because if he does, v'shav mechra, he will depart. Omar of Shmuel bar Nachmeni, Omar of Yunison. Um, on the side of the Gemara, before we continue, we have a topic heading, Mitzvoysov v'chatov shel odom, the, the merits, the commandments fulfilled by a person, and to the contrary, the sins of a person, uh, these, they both accompany him to the world to come. So, uh, Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel uh, quoting Rabbi Yunusim, says, uh, A person who performs even a singular mitzvah in this world, we can say each mitzvah that a person accomplishes in this world, walks in ahead of him. Mikadmoso, Rashi says, Mikadmoso lifnei misoso machrezes lifonov. Even before the individual dies, the mitzvah announces that so-and-so who is about to die performed this and this mitzvah. So it, it walks, the mitzvah uh, uh, introduces him, announces his arrival, before the person himself actually reaches the world to come. Shinemar, the Posuk says, your acts of righteousness walk in front of you. People who sin in this world, so the, uh, the, the relationship there between the sin and the sinner is as follows. Malafafosa means it, it, it cloaks him, it, it surrounds him. Rashi says, Koyrachto. Koyrachto is to surround him, uh, embraces him, if you will, and goes with him to the world to come. There's a, you'll notice that in the case of the uh, act of, of righteousness, of mitzvah fulfillment, you see the word Mekadmosoi, that it acts as a harbinger announcing his arrival. In the case of the sin, uh, it's true that you see the word but you don't see mikadmoso. So there's a seeming different approach between the two. It could be, as I'm, as, as, uh, I'm speaking right now, it occurs to me that uh, assuming the, that in the case of the act of righteousness, you see the word mikadmoso, it means before his death, it, the, 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 the mitzvah announces his arrival. When it comes to a sin, there's no point in referring to the sin uh, before his death because there is always the possibility up till the actual moment of death, the possibility of tshuva, of, of penitence and regret of having done the sin. And hence, if that takes place, it would then have the, a, a very positive effect and there would be no point in having the sin which is then going to be, let's say, erased uh, by the penitents uh, announcing the person's arrival before he actually dies. So when it comes to an act of of of, of uh, mitzvah fulfillment of, uh, of tzedek of righteousness, so that acts as a harbinger before the person actually dies. When it comes to a sin, that it would be pointless because of, as we said, the uh, possibility of atonement prior to actual death. The Gemara continues. Uh, we said that the, the sin cloaks, wraps around the person and goes with the person, not ahead of the person, but with him to the uh, world to come. And it says, uh, let's go over the, uh, the point. 
a point that we call in base. It grabs and cloaks him, wraps around him, and walks with him to the day of judgment. Shinemar, Yilofsu, or Chistarkom, Yalu, Bato, Viovedu. The word Yilofsu, like the word Milafafoso, to wrap around him. Rebelezer Omer, Kshurabo Kekelev. A second description of the sin and is that it's, it's, it's tied to him, like it's tied to the sinner like a dog. This Pasuk is from Yosef and the wife of Potiphar, where she tried to lead him to sin with her, and he did not heed her. Um, her advances. There's a in this pasuk you see as a duplicate or a, a double expression lishkav and lios. So we darshan lishkav et Yosef did not yield <coughs> to her advances to uh, lie with her in this world. Liosima leolam haba to be with her, namely the the sin to accompany him to the world to come. Tanan Hossam. Before we go further in the Gemara, we glance at the topic heading on the side the Nosei, which reads Mekoros Be'inin Eid Echod sources regarding a singular witness that testifies about the Sota and an actual act of intimacy. Number one, Acharei Kinoi Ustira, the issue of the singular witness testimony after she was warned and went into seclusion and a case of a singular witness coming forth <clears throat> and saying he saw an act of intimacy however without uh, prior evidence of her being warned and having gone into seclusion so the issue once again revolves around the acceptance under what circumstances do we believe a singular witness who says he saw the actual act of intimacy? And all of this is on the, in the without stating it, it's uh, on the background of the fact that in general, uh, in order to establish facts, you need to have two witnesses. So now our uh, Gemara, which is, we can actually read the Rashi for introductory purposes, just a few lines up here in Rashi, Tanan Hasem, Perik Mishikine, in Later in this Masechta, in Perak Mishikina, uh, this Tanaic source appears. Regarding that which we were taught, that if a singular witness saw the act of intimacy, that uh, she does not continue with the Sota process, which involves her drinking special waters in the base Hamikdash. That idea of drinking the waters in the base of English is, is reserved for the situation of a woman who received a warning and went into seclusion and we don't know what happened in, the, in seclusion but if a singular witness comes to the fore and says I saw the act of intimacy so given certain circumstances we say no we stop the process and no drinking will follow so now with that background we read in our Gemara Tanan Hossam Shehoya Bedin that means logic would have led us to the conclusion that one witness is not 
believed. If not for the fact that a, that a poster comes to tell us that he is, we would have said a singular witness is not believed. And what's the logic? Uma edus harishoyna. Now, the, this, this expression, edus harishona is a reference to testimony concerning her going into seclusion. There is a source that we're probably not going to deal with today, but you'll see the second line from the bottom, it says, Tonu Rabonon, e zu he edus horishona. Reference was made to this idea of first testimony. What is that? Zu edus stira. That's a reference to testimony concerning her, the married woman's going into seclusion with another man. The more continues there at the, at the last line and says, Edus Achrona, that expression, Zu Edus Tuma, that is a reference to testimony concerning actual act of intimacy. So you can see that the terms, Edus Rishon, Edus Achrona, which at, uh, at this point we're, we're holding in the more appear to be obscure, they're explained in the source at the bottom. So now, that having been said, we go back to our Gemara, where we left off. Which we now know means testimony concerning her being in seclusion. That testimony does not result in the woman being prohibited permanently to be with, to go back to her husband. Namely, if she uh, if there was testimony that she had been warned and uh, and went into seclusion, she can end up drinking the water in the base of Migdash. Nothing happens to her. She is then found to be innocent. She goes back to her husband. So, Edus Rishona, that's the testimony concerning stira, concerning seclusion, that doesn't result in her being permanently prohibited. And yet, Enomis Kayemes Mepochos Mishnayim. Of course, we saw Machlokas Tanoi, we saw Tanaid controversy concerning this. We're going to follow uh, one of the approaches that we've seen, namely that uh, the Edus the for Stira does not take place with less than two. We saw certainly Rabbi Yeshua in the Mishnah saying this idea that you have to have two witnesses for uh, Edus of Stira. And even though stira is not so serious, it doesn't represent a definite, permanent prohibition. Testimony concerning Tuma, concerning the actual act of intimacy, after her being in seclusion, which would result in her being permanently prohibited to her husband, a married woman who willingly has relations with another man, she is prohibited to go back to living with her husband. All the more so, we should require no less than two witnesses. Talmud Lomar v'eid ein ba. So the Torah says their eid ein ba means kol shiyesh ba. For our purposes, means any kind of testimony that is there, even one, uh, will be believed. And we've seen uh, we've seen we've seen on Daf Base where we dash in v'eid ain ba, and we said two there weren't, but one there was, and we believe them. We believe him, the singular witness. So that because of this pasuk, the eight ain't bob, we operate contrary to logic and say that in the case of Edus Tumor, 
one witness is believed. Even though that when it came to Adis of Stira, which was a less serious matter, you needed to have two. Well, once we've established this, then Well, now that you tell me that for the serious matter of Adis Tuma, one witness is enough, for the Adis of Adis Rishona, which we said was the Adis of Stira, of merely going into seclusion, one certainly should be enough. As follows, Mind you, Adus Achrona, Adus, the testimony of, of defilement, which prohibits her permanently to go back to her husband. One witness is sufficient. Adus Harishoyna Sheino Sati Soilo Meido Din Shadiskayem Beidechod. The Adus Harishona, which is testimony concerning mere seclusion, which doesn't necessarily result in permanent prohibition. Certainly one witness should be enough. Regarding promiscuity, it's not in the Parsha of Sota, but nevertheless it deals with Ervas Dover promiscuity. You see this expression, emphasis on the word Dover. Just like the Posuk in Zvoram Perakutes says you need to have two witnesses, Avkan, so too when it comes to Dvar Ervo, Alpi Shnayim. You need to have two witnesses. Uh, there is a bracketed session that we'll skip initially, and it says, Vituma bi Alma, Belokinu, Yublostira, Dolomem, and Echad Minolon. When it comes to Tuma in general, that uh, namely, promiscuity without a prior warning and prior uh, seclusion that one witness is not believed. Where do we learn that from? So, Neymar Khan and there the Xeroshava will appear again. And the reason for that is what is revealed in the bracketed section. Uh, on the side we have a note, a starred note, and it says, We'll ask on what we have just done before the brackets uh, as citing a source for the need for two witnesses for Edus concerning seclusion. After the brackets, the Gemara then brings the real use of the Xerah Shava. So what we saw just now is not the final use of the Xerah Shava. That will be revealed after the brackets. So now let's go through the bracketed section. The Gemara asks, Hi, that you have that you need two witnesses for Stira. Miki Motsuba Ervas Dovor Nafka? Is it learned from the Dovor Gezera Shava? Mi Bo Nafka, Bo Velobikinui, Bo Velobistira, Mi Boyale. We had the Posuk, the Aid Ain Ba. This, of course, we saw cited earlier in this source, and we spent a lot of time on this drawshop on our Daf Bay's Shiur, our previous Shiur. So from the Posuk of the Eid Ain Ba, there isn't any, you don't have two witnesses for Ba, for Tum'ah, for the actual defilement. There, one witness is enough. But one witness is not enough 
for Kinoi nor for Stira. For Kinoi and Stira, you need to have two witnesses. So how is it that you're saying that for Stira I need two witnesses from the Xerashov of Dovar Dovar when I learned that from the limitation expression of Ba? The Gemara says, Hachi Nami Ko'omar. You know, we acknowledge what you just said. Talmud Lomar, Ba. In other words, if you're looking for a source on uh, as far as Edus, um, Edus Ho'achrona, uh, alone, one, one witness is sufficient. But for Stira, one witness is not sufficient. That I learned from the ball limitation expression. So now, what am I going to do with the Dover Dover Gzera Shava? The Tuma Bialmo below Kinui below Stira Delomehem on Edechominolon. And Tuma in general, if you have a married woman being in, involved in an act of uh, sexual intimacy with another man other than her husband, without the prior conditions of Kinui and Stira. And only one witness testifies of having seen that, that we do not believe him. We don't accept the testimony of a singular witness. How do I know that? One Pasuk deal, dealing with promiscuity, Ervas Dovor, the word Dovor appears, and elsewhere, when it comes to testimony, the Pasuk refers to two or three witnesses. Ma Dovor Mulalon Edim Shnayim, just like Dovor in the Pasuk of Lo, uh, of Alpi Shnei Edim Yokum Dovor, you need to have two. Afkan, with regard to Arias, promiscuity, forbidden relations. You need Adim Shnayim, two witnesses. And as we pointed out earlier and many times prior to this, when it comes to the promiscuity of a married woman coming on the heels of the husband warning her not to be in seclusion with so-and-so, and if there's established testimony to that having taken place, then even a singular witness will believe with information regarding the actual act of intimacy between that married woman and the paramour. But without that prior uh, testimony, uh, in order to prohibit the woman from her husband and to prosecute her, you would have to have two witnesses. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.